I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 39 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels. At the end of the episode, I'll point out where material presented in episode 39 appears in the AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated. In this episode, I continue my discussion of the seven signs reported in the Gospel of St. John with the last two, which are shared with the Synoptic Gospels, and begin also begin part one of seven in a discussion of unique themes, details, and events in the Gospel of St. John. There are two signs recorded in the Gospel of St. John, which are also included in two or more of the Synoptic Gospels. These are the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water. The feeding of the 5,000 was discussed in episode 10 on the Gospel of St. Mark in the context of divinity demonstrated. Walking on water was discussed in episode 9, also from the Gospel of St. Mark account, in the context of divine power over nature. In this episode, I will discuss the unique details in both accounts, beginning with the feeding of the 5,000. The illustration is John in Silence, an 18th century A.D. tempera and gilt-on panel icon made at Vladimir, Russia. It shows St. John in the style of the Eastern Church as an old man, whereas Western depictions more often show him in his early adulthood. He is making the sign of the cross over his lips with his right hand and pointing to the opening page of his gospel with his left. The words on the page include in the beginning from John 1.1. The traditional symbol of John and an eagle is also present. This type of image may have been based upon older icons of a 15th century Armenian priest of the name of John. St. John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 is the longest of the four versions in the Gospels. In chronological order, the feeding of the 5,000 was the fourth sign. It includes many details not found in the synoptics. In this episode, I will discuss the unique details and not the remainder of the text, which was discussed in episode 10. These unique details fall into six topical areas where, when, who, the use of the words thanks or thanksgiving, sign, and prophet. Only in St. John's account is the Sea of Galilee named. It is implied in other accounts across the sea. In verse 1, St. John calls it by his first century Roman name, the Sea of Tiberias. The most likely location is somewhere on the northeastern shore, possibly near Bethsaida, one of the ten cities on the east side of the sea because of the previous scene was in Jerusalem, and St. John says they crossed the sea. St. John calls the location a mountain, where St. Matthew and St. Mark call it a deserted place. St. Luke does not specify geographical details. There are hills and steep cliffs in that part of the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
offshore of the same region is the location of the walking on water and calming of the seas incidents. Only St. John reveals when the event took place, saying it is around the time of Passover, which St. John in verse 4b calls, quote, a feast of the Jews. The Passover feast commemorated God's merciful sparing of the children of the Jews on the night in which he slayed the firstborn among the Egyptians, described in Exodus 12. Only St. John names two of the disciples involved and includes their discourses with Jesus. In both cases, St. John reveals that even the inner circle, as we will see later, includes St. John himself, did not at that time and not until after the resurrection fully understand who Jesus was. The first disciple mentioned is Philip, whom Jesus, seeing a multitude coming near, tested with a question to which, as St. John wrote, he already knew the answer, saying, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? In chapter 6, verse 5. The illustration is a late 19th century watercolor and graphite over gray wove paper of the Apostle Philip by James Tissot from his Life of Christ collection at the Brooklyn Museum. A skeptical Philip answered Jesus' question with a skeptical statement in verse 7. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Philip will appear again in St. John's Gospel when Jesus again deals with Philip's lack of understanding of Jesus' identity, saying in chapter 14, verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? The illustration of Philip is an early 17th century oil on canvas in the Western Church style by Peter Paul Rubens from the collection of the Prado Museum in Madrid, Spain. The other disciple mentioned by name is Andrew, mentioned as the brother of Simon Peter, who by implication was present. Like Philip, Andrew has doubts, saying in verse 9, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? The illustration is a 5th century mosaic of St. Andrew at the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome, Italy. Only in St. John's version of the feeding of the 5,000 are the words thanks and thanksgiving spoken by Jesus. These are respectively based upon the Greek words eucharistio and eucharistia, from which the formal liturgical term of Holy Communion Eucharist is derived. The popular term communion is derived from a different Greek word koinonia. The same form and order described by St. John is followed in the Holy Eucharist liturgy in the Anglican world, the blessing followed by thanksgiving and by distribution of the elements. St. John twice refers to the event as a sign in chapter 6 verse 2 and verse 14 which, as noted from episode 36, comes from the Greek Samian. St. John calls them signs instead of miracles or wonders, as in the synoptics, to make his point. Miracles or wonders are the results or consequences of the exercise of something greater, that is, the divine power, might, and authority of Jesus. Jesus.
Also unique to St. John's account is the identification by the Galilean observers of Jesus as a prophet. In John 6:14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. What these Galileans meant by prophet is discussed in the next and final segment. The illustration is a stained glass window of Christ with a symbolic lamb at St. Paul's Church, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, the oldest Anglican church in Canada, consecrated in 1749 A.D. The seventh and final sign is walking on water in John 6, verses 15 to 21. In order of presentation in St. John's Gospel, it was the fifth sign. It is presented here because it is one of the two signs which also appear in two or more of the Synoptic Gospels. The time is early spring 29 AD, on the day immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. St. John's text flows directly from the first event to the second. The location is offshore on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, or Sea of Tiberias, as John calls it. The event was discussed in detail in episode 9 in the context of the exercise of divine power over nature in the Gospel of St. Mark. The focus of this episode is several important details of the incident which are unique to St. John's Gospel. I have listed them under several key words or phrases, kingship, distance, the absence of a calming of the seas, and the reference to an immediate result after Jesus' intervention. The illustration, Jesus walks on the sea, is another opaque watercolor over graphite, this time on green wove paper by French artist James Tissot from the collection at the Brooklyn Museum. The glow around the image was intended by the artist to suggest that he brings his own light. At the end of the feeding of the 5,000, the Galilean Jews had called Jesus a prophet. The Orthodox Study Bible notes that they very likely saw him as the one promised in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 22, who would come like Moses. A common view among Jews in the early 1st century A.D. was that the promised one would be an earthly king who would deliver them from the control of the Roman Empire. In the opening verse, St. John gives us a first-hand glimpse into Jesus' thinking. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus' habits of prayer, often in isolation, are discussed as described by St. Luke in episode 25. The message here is that Jesus is a king, but not one whose purpose is earthly rule. St. John records Jesus' clear statement on this point in his dialogue with Pilate in John 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. St. John himself assured readers near the end of his gospel that Jesus' form of deliverance 
is to be fulfilled not on earth but in the heavenly kingdom of the Father. When he wrote in John 18 verse 31, these, meaning the words of his gospel, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. St. John records that after Jesus had not returned from his mountain retreat, they boarded the boat and headed west towards Capernaum on the opposite shore. A primer in the geography of the North Sea, of the end of the Sea of Galilee, will be helpful in understanding what happened next. The great wind, which St. John mentions in verse 18. Scholars have suggested that the difference in elevation between the high bluffs on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee in the region of Bethsaida and the valley of the River Jordan and the much lower level of the sea cause frequent sudden and violent windstorms that can blow up from the north. In all the gospel accounts, the disciples are in a boat and a high wind or great wind in John 6.18 arises, but only St. John mentions a specific distance from the shore, three or four miles, in verse 19, when they see Jesus coming toward them across the water. This would have put them approximately halfway across the Sea of Galilee at that point. Note that the scale in the legend on the map in the illustration is the scale of the full-size version and is not accurate in this adapted version. I discussed the issue of their being afraid in episode 30 in the context of the second I Am declaration, I Am, fear not. In St. John's version of events, there is no mention of the command by Jesus to calm the storm-tossed waters, such as appears in Matthew 14, 22 to 33 and Mark 6:45 to 52. Saint Mark referred to this as one of three demonstrations of Jesus's power over nature. Saint John presents the act of walking on water as but the first of two miraculous events, the second being what happened after Jesus stepped into the boat, an action not mentioned in the synoptics. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Many Eastern Church scholars see this event as a parallel to the crossing of the Red Sea, with Moses leading the old Israel and Jesus leading the new Israel, symbolized by the disciples. I believe that understanding St. John's eyewitness account is absolutely critical to a broader understanding of the traditional beliefs of the Christian faith. Thus far in this Bible study course, I have discussed St. John's unique thematic introduction or overture in episode 36, the remarkable and unique I Am declarations in episode 29 through episode 35, and in episode 36 through this episode, The Seven Signs. In the remainder of the series, especially in episode 40 through uh, episode 45, my focus will be on three categories, themes, details, and events, focusing on what is unique in St. John's Gospel in each category. 
St. John had the advantage of having heard or read the three synoptic gospels published before about 86 AD. He felt no need to include every event, and as he points out in John 20, verses 30 to 31, he did not pretend that his own account included everything that Jesus did or said. As I have noted in several previous episodes, St. John's Gospel is not exclusively either a history or a biography. It is both, but it is also theological and also highly spiritual-minded. The same can be said for John's three epistles and the book of Revelation. In this section on spiritual themes, I'll begin with part one of two, and a discussion of four categories, each of which illustrates a spiritual aspect of the Christian faith. Light versus darkness, good versus evil, also expressed as truth versus falsehood, life versus death, and heaven versus earth. These four concepts are not necessarily mutually exclusive. The illustration is an early 18th century icon from, of John from the iconostasis at the all-wooden summer chapel at Kiji Monastery, Karelia, Russia, in the farthest northern region of Russia. The first theme is light versus darkness. While the word light is found in the Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Luke, it is developed extensively and in a more spiritual sense by St. John. The concept of Jesus as light begins in chapter 1, the overture or prelude, which I discussed in episode 26 and episode 27. As I also noted in episode 26, only in St. John's Gospel is the life of Jesus Christ carried all the way back to the creation account in Genesis. John reveals Jesus as the Word that existed in the beginning. In traditional early Christian teaching and art inspired by St. John's Gospel, Jesus is presented as the agent of the Father in all that happened in the creation. John completes the thought in verses 4 and 5, applying it to the state of mankind at creation. In John's own time, and by extension in our time as well. He wrote in John 1, 4, and 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The illustration is a detail from the far left side of a mosaic, the first day, in the creation dome at the Basilica of St. Mark Venice, which was added to the original 9th century basilica in the 10th century or later. While the illustration refers to literal darkness, St. John's declaration in verse 5 that the darkness did not comprehend it refers to the spiritual darkness of the world that existed as the result of the sin of disobedience by Adam and Eve, not yet offset by the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. In John 1, verse 9, St. John calls Jesus, quote, the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. In chapter 2, he presents John the Baptist going forth, not as the light, but as the witness to that light. 
I explored that theme in episode 27. It was also discussed based upon St. Luke's account in episode 13 in the context of the angelic annunciation to Zacharias. A similar theme is shown in Luke 11:33 to 36, especially verse 34, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness, which was discussed in episode 22 in the context of Jesus as spiritual light. In that episode, I quoted St. Cyril, Bishop of Alexandria, describing Jesus as the divine light, which had come, quote, as a lamp to the world. The theological idea of Christ as the spiritual light of the world found its way into the musical tradition of the Western Church in the early 17th century with Johann Hiermann's hymn, O Christ, Our True and Only Light, which was translated from the original German in the Lutheran tradition into English by the celebrated English translator Catherine Winkworth in 1858 A.D. The first verse is, O Christ, our true and only light, illumine those who sit in night. Let those afar now hear thy voice, and in thy fold with us rejoice. As of 2014 A.D., the last time I looked at the calculation, O Christ, our true and only light, appears in more than 80 hymnals of many denominations. I'll continue the discussion of the theme of light versus dark in episode 40. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net where seasonal and Christian education videos are available linked from the digital library page, Bible study videos from the Bible study page, podcast versions from the podcast archive page, and AIC bookstore publications linked through the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page. Items of interest for episode 39 are from the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, the 1928 BCP Saints, Andrew is the focus of episode 1, John of episode 4, Mark of 7, Philip of 8, John the Baptist of 10, Peter of 11, Nathaniel slash Bartholomew of 13, Matthew of 14, and Luke of episode 15. From our podcast homily series, you can listen to the homilies for fourth Sunday in Lent and Sunday next before Advent when the reading is all or part of St. John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, in the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 and of Jesus walking on the seas are discussed in Chapter 6. From Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are creation, Eucharist, heaven, I am, kingdom, light, prophet slash prophecy, propitiation, sin, synoptic gospels, witness, and finally, the word. In the St. Chrysostom hymnal, O Christ Our True and Only Light by Johann Hiermann, 
is hymn 50, presented in six verses, arranged to the tune Breslau, and placed among hymns appropriate for Epiphany season. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, and the Bible study video series of the same name, you can hear and read more evidence of John's spirituality and his theology. Finally, there's Father Ron's blog, linked from the top and the bottom of each page on the website. Entries usually include an illustration. The direct URL address is www.anglicaninternetchurch.net slash blog, with blog in all lowercase letters only. Further, by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can register to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 39. Next time in episode 40, I continue with part 2 of 7 on unique themes, details, and events in the Gospel of St. John, continuing with my discussion of light versus darkness. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.